Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we're going to be playing some of our favorite conversations from the fall of 2023. We start the show by speaking with Eugenio Zucal, who tells us about an Argentinian missionary movement, Renova Mas, which means Renew More, which has now expanded into the United States. After that, we'll meet singer-songwriter Nico Cabrera, who loves collaborations and in 2023 put out a bilingual collaboration with John Finch. In our second half hour, we go back to October 23 to Rome during the Synod on Synodality and hear from Sister Jill Golding, who is a synodal expert and reminds us why synodality is important. And at the end of the program, we reconnect with Bob Halligan Jr. of the Catholic Celtic rock band Kaylee Rain, which in 2023 put out a new album, Crash This Gate. We begin now with a new missionary movement that arrives in the United States. I hope that some of you will remember from the early days of Pope Francis's papacy his use of the expression, a church that goes out. This is a model of a missionary church, a church of missionary disciples. But being missionary disciples is not easy. And so in order to help parishes do this better, in 2017, a movement began in Argentina with the goal of giving parishes the tools that they need. Renova Mas, which means renew more, began in Argentina and has now spread to some 10 countries. And now they will be expanding to the United States with offices in the Archdiocese of Washington. And to find out more, earlier this week, I spoke with one of the founders of the movement, Eugenio Sucal, from his home in London, England. Eugenio, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. It's good to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. So what is, I don't think I explained it well, so what, how would you say, what is Renova? Or Renova. <laughs> Renova. In, in few words, Renova is a global network of lay missionaries, an international organization that serves the Catholic Church in its mission and its evangelization journey. And so, how did it start? Well, we started uh, when we began the the seed that the Lord planted in each of our four founders, Andres, Diego, Guillermo, and myself. Uh-huh. Uh, to put all our talents at the service of a participative, outgoing, and synodal church. That was what we started speaking about in a round table with some coffees in the middle. And we began to dream of the project. Uh, and with the advice and the support of Pope Francis, that was a very, very big gift from the Holy Spirit. We have managed to turn this stream into concrete actions on a global level, resulting in many enriched communities and the joy of the gospel present in each of our actions. Okay, so let me go back to, to Pope Francis. Yeah. because So how long ago was this when you started? Was he the Archbishop or was he already Pope? Uh, he was already Pope. So after dreaming all this, we just wrote a letter, which uh, has had to be sent by fax. Uh, <laughs> to the Vatican and that was a kind of a filter obviously they answered by email they yes. won't <laughs> yes. they was, but as a filter as a, the, the, the ingoing they, they received fax and he answered very quickly receiving us in a private audience okay. and we traveled with the whole team we presented 
him the ideas but basically what 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 gave us some some success in that first meeting was that we presented him projects that were making concrete the things he said that should be done it's not that were ideas from ourselves but were really the the concrete actions for things that he was already saying and writing about in encyclicals so that's why the match was so perfect so would you say that that you you spoke about that original seed the inspiration yeah. do you think that the because you i mean you grew up in buenos aires i'm i'm assuming in argentina yeah um yeah. He would have been Archbishop or Cardinal of Buenos Aires at some point during your life. Yes. Do you think that that seed was partly inspired by some of the work or his words while he was Archbishop of Buenos Aires? For sure, because uh, myself, I was in another diocese. Uh, okay. But uh, Andres and Guillermo uh, worked with him uh, closely. So there was a seed. But obviously, when he became a bulkhead, completely changed his agenda and his his way of, of, of seeing the world and he started to to really really think and speak globally uh, and we started to dream in a in a global church in the change of a global church right so we had a, we had a match in his new role and in our new the new size of our of our dreams yeah let me ask you about the mission because i mean it's obviously to to join in the evangelization efforts of the church that sounds very general yeah uh, there's a lot of groups that are doing that but what is specific about renova and how you do evangelization great what we define as a mission is that uh, we provide support to the parish priest in the development of pastoral activities within the community uh, with the aim of contributing to its growth and optimization. Our approach and our support are project-based and a consultative approach and involve the implementation of training programs and pastoral work uh, and, well, pastoral tools for as long as the parish requires us. So. It's okay. a project approach. So you work uh, closely with parishes. Well, so parish would contact you and say, "Hey, I would like some support." Is that is that yes. as simple as that? That it is. And as activities, we we have a mainly a training program and a training institute in the areas of education, Catholic catechesis, okay. healing, leadership, teaching, and Bible, uh -huh. and. And, and yeah, and we also have artistic projects. And with that, we work for enriching the, the pastoral programs of the, of the parishes. Okay, so, so it's a parish support. Do you also do events or anything at a larger scale outside of the support that you do for parishes? Yes, obviously, in, in, this, growing, uh, in this growing phase we are going through, um, we are we are obviously asked to do other stuff than the than the core, but yeah, it, it depends on the country and depends on the needs. Okay. We are open to that. We have a lot of experience in in events. Uh, uh, me myself, I produce massive event of hundred thousand people. Yes. But but yeah, we we, we have a lot of of talent in, in in our table more than 60 people mm. working but but we try to to focus in this core because yeah it takes a lot of time and to really be successful with the projects we have to just discard some things 
but we are we are capable of doing different projects yeah, yeah. so it, like you said it, it depends on the needs of the diocese yeah. or the or the particular parish um so uh, it started in argentina you you live in in england you're yes. hoping to expand or expanding shortly to to the united states in north america uh, what other countries where else is, are you uh, where else are you well we have carried out concrete actions in more than 90 dioceses worldwide. Some of the countries uh, we have worked the most, including uh, Belgium, Germany, France, Spain, uh, in Europe, and then in Americas, uh, Mexico, Costa Rica, Belize, Panama, Peru, Colombia, Argentina, obviously. Yes. And uh, after working together for more than two years with leaders of pastoral work, with Hispanic communities in the U.S., we are opening our office in Maryland to establish permanent support work in the territory. Okay, and obviously, when you go into another country, like you're going into the United States, do you have to be invited by the bishop? How does that work? Well, actually, uh, our our work in the U.S. is together with with, uh, with the Archbishop of Washington, but okay. the, the the first seed was planted by Pope Francis himself, who wrote a letter uh, to to the Archbishop uh, asking directly uh, yeah. for him to receive us. Okay, it helps to have the Pope on your side, I guess. <laughs> I I, th I think it helps, <laughs> but that is a, a a correct way of defining it. It yeah. helps, but okay. it's not mandatory. No, so okay. we we have to be useful and and with a complete service attitude to be received. And likely we're we're being very well received, and obviously before giving this big step, we've been working together for more than two years, understanding the needs. Right. And the thing that really made us uh, getting like in place uh, was that the um, the conclusions of the fifth meeting for the Hispanic communities were just a perfect match okay. for the things we do in Renova. So the conclusions about a permanent okay. mission church a space for participation and listening and synodal elections are just what I just described. Exactly what you're doing. So yeah. that match was perfect. So we will be uh, uh, an arm for the church in implementing all the conclusions of the fifth meeting. So do you think that you will be primarily be working with Hispanic communities in the United States or you hope to also Definitely, be Definitely, that will be with... our focus. That will be our focus. Yeah, okay. And uh, so how can people, how do you think people in North America can benefit from your ministry? Well, the idea is that they worked in a, in a synodal way during years to, to understand what are the things that should be done in a mm -hmm. pastoral approach for the church to grow, for the church to, to change, for the church to acquire this, uh, this spirit that, that Pope Francis is trying to transmit. Uh, so all the actions they are planning to do, we will do, uh, we will help in implementing. So that is our main goal, to be servicing church and Hispanic communities for implementing the actions of the fifth meeting. Yes, and hopefully as you grow, you eventually will also be helping not just the Hispanic community, but also the everyone, all Catholics. We are the... Catholics, we are universal. Yes. They say God will show us the way, as the he always is. did. We yes. couldn't imagine, like in this round table with a coffee in the middle, we couldn't imagine working <laughs> 
this size, this huge, this in this level with this level of service. Uh, but yeah, we are completely uh, just driven by this Holy Spirit. So obviously open to anything he, he brings for us. Well, and we're very excited that you're coming closer to Canada and maybe one day you'll actually be in Canada. Um, Eugenio, it's been great meeting you and uh, God bless you and your team on your ministry as it grows. And I hope to see you soon. Thank you so much. And yeah, hopefully we'll meet sooner or later. And well, thank you for inviting us to, to share our mission. You can learn more about Renovamas at their website, renovamas.org. I'll post that link on our site, slmedia.org slash podcast, so you can find it easily. If you missed any part of this conversation, that's also where you can listen to the full program and all our programs. Here now is Nico Cabrera with his new single in collaboration with John Finch, Behold. There's no greater sacrifice than the blood you shed for me that day on Calvary. It was a fountain, not a drip, when your mercy covered me. No longer bound, I'm free. So I'll remember Cabrera with Behold, and singing with Nico was John Finch, who also co-wrote the song. If you've been listening to this program, you would have heard of the Vigil Project. You probably also remember an interview we did featuring the Catholic Music Initiative. Well, Nico Cabrera is involved with both of those. 
When he's not, he's traveling all across the country serving as a retreat leader, speaker, worship leader, songwriter, mentor, and educator. He's a graduate of Franciscan University and loves theology and transmitting the truths of the faith in the simplest of ways. To get to know him better, I spoke with Nico Cabrera earlier this week. Nico, welcome to the program. It's good to meet you. Hey, Deacon. Thank you so much. Pleasure to meet you as well. So tell me a little bit about, about growing up. Did you grow up a Catholic? Was there music in your home? Yeah. So I, I grew up Catholic, uh, born to a beautiful family. I would say beautiful but disordered, like any um, <laughs> any family, very faithful Catholics, you know. Yeah. But I probably I grew away from my faith when I was young. It's actually only until later in my life that I got much closer. Okay, really. So um, Latin American, I'm assuming, Nico Cabrera. So, yeah. So I guess that your family, everybody's Catholic. Yep, born and raised in Colombia. Yeah, very, oh, Colombiano, very cultural, culturally Catholic. Um, tell me a little bit about, was that moving away from the faith in the sort of what most teenagers do because it's just like there was no connection or was there something specific that happened? Um, you know what it was more simply than not. My parents are just good people, but they, they because of their own experiences, I don't think were able to really translate. Um, okay, yeah. What it meant to be Catholic in a way that I think was palpable to somebody who was young. Yeah, yeah. I think they tried, and but what's the experience of most Catholics? No, we go to church. Why do we go to church? Yeah. Because it's good. Why is it good? And beyond that, they can't because it's forgotten. Well, why are we going for God? Well, because God said so. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get to this point where you're like, for a young person, that's not convincing. Yeah. And lo and behold, also my parents, I think they're in a period in their marriage where they were just struggling. So okay. this whole idea of being close to faith for me, I was just like, why do we go worship a God when clearly your lives are falling apart? Like, I, I don't like right. Yeah. Am I the only one that sees the writing on the wall? Like, yeah, of course. Were yeah. you, uh, do you have brothers and sisters? Yes. So it's a big family, primos, tios. Three brothers. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. was, were you already as a teenager already playing music? I've always been a musician. Yeah. Always loved it. Um, and I used to write, I used to have notebooks full of songs that I would write and stuff, but it was only yeah. until I had the conversion at 15 that that's when it became a thing for me that I was like, um, I have to go ahead and now start sharing this with other people. Like my responsibility is now to, I think, write music for something that's higher. Okay. So conversion at 15. So it doesn't sound like you strayed away from the church for very long. You, tell me about that conversion experience. You know what? It's funny you say not very long, but I think, you know, when I was around 14, 15, I wanted to be an atheist, pretty hardcore. You know? Really? It was, yeah, and I had my reasons, and I think I had some forms of, like, ideas outlined. Um, but I, interestingly enough, I was never a bad kid I, in the sense of yeah. what you would never consider traditionally bad. I yeah. never smoked and didn't drink. Yeah, I wasn't yeah, yeah. attracted to those things. So it's funny because people are like, no, you were just moral. No, I just wasn't attracted to it. Don't yeah. ask me why. Um, but I was very conniving. Um, I was very intelligent with my approach with adults. I knew how to wrap adults around my fingers. So I, I think I had all these qualities that people thought were very good. But when you actually looked at the, the quality of my heart, you would see a lot of things that were just not um, good and, mm. and healthy. And when I was 15, I don't know, the Lord just really appeared in my heart um, at a charismatic retreat in this community down in Miami mm. called Siervos de Cristo. Yeah. Servants of Christ uh, Alive. Yeah. 
instead of the Dominican Republic, fantastic. And I just came to life. And Amen. man, let me tell you, it rocked me. Amen. It rocked. Yeah. And at that point, my parents lost their business. Um, I got depressed. Um, um, I lost, you know, I was wearing, I sent something like 90, 100 pounds at 15. I was, I was a tiny thing. Uh-huh. I just, you know, the only thing that made sense in my heart was the Lord. I think that was pretty, there wasn't any other way around it. And yeah. Yeah. And you felt that the music was a way to express yourself also creatively, but also to to help kind of share that experience that you've had about, you know, that press personal encounter that you'd had. Yeah. And in some ways it was actually much simpler. Like I didn't really do much yeah. I, I, for me as I just started singing in church and then I started writing. And then for me, it was more just the importance of, of the effective aspect of worship. Like I just got to a place where I was like, um, mm-hmm. man, this is big for me. Like I, I feel so alive and now I'm at a place where I actually crave silence a lot more. So even though I yeah. do a lot of music, I do it as a vehicle for helping people to pray. You know, I'm not interested in people following me. Probably it goes back to you asking me earlier, you know, like I don't really have a website. And right. I, I don't, if you look at my Instagram, I don't really post often because I'm, I'm like, I, I don't have a desire for people to follow me. I just want to pray with people. I, I want you to look at God. If you follow me. Yeah, <laughs> here, no, that's, yeah, that's true. So there you go. So that's why I won't be, <laughs> be able to tell people where your website is, but um. And I can, I get, I get that from your music, actually, that there's a very, it's a little, it's, it's contemplative in a way that I, I don't think you would probably think it's contemplative, but it is contemplative in that sense that it sort of seems to draw, when I listen to it, it seems to draw me closer to, to having that encounter. Um, and of course, we just listened to that song with, with John, with John Finch, Behold, that's very much does that for me. Um, and, but I wanted to ask you, so you ended up, you ended up at Franciscan University, obviously, you know, I'm sure that that was a great experience, but you didn't study music. You studied theology. Yeah. I, I, for me, as I started to discover the Lord and it was, I mean, it was an intense three years where I was praying and it it was a lot. Like I just dove in, you know, I don't think, and I think let's say it was grace because I don't think it was purely on my decision. Yeah. Um, I just, I was like, there's so many misunderstandings about faith that I just, I think I need to share this with people. And I looked at my peers, the difficulty that it was to be not just a teenager, but an adult. Mm-hmm. And I just thought I, I need to share this. And it's funny because I, I Franciscan is known for catechetics apart from theology. Yeah. And maybe I'm yeah. a little bit pompous, but I was like, I don't want to study catechetics. Like I know how to explain the faith. I just want to study theology yeah. and I really want to understand it so I can, bring it down to a level that people can genuinely understand it. Because I, I would argue that Catholicism practiced mediocrely is very dangerous. Hmm. It's only when it's practiced correctly. It's only when we really press in and understand things that I think we get and we draw full, fuller, you know, closer to the fullness of the faith. Um, and I can provide examples of that because that's a, that's a very big statement. It is very profound, actually. I spent eight years teaching theology and... <sighs> How many times did I find that, you know, and I don't want to blame the teachers because you could always play the blame game, but I found that we we were able to communicate parts of the truth of the faith, but we were never able to communicate it fully in the mm. way that it had to be understood. Um, you know, so, of course, God is God has justice 
but equally he has mercy. And there's yep. a reason we call him a mystery is because that balance between justice and mercy is in many ways un unbeknown to us. Mm -hmm. we, we don't mm -hmm. really fully understand it. You know, it's, um, so, I mean, I could go on about this. But yeah, no, it's, it sounds like it's a conversation we can have uh, over a cup of beer. Um, <laughs> no, but you're just making me think of how many people we know who are just mediocre Catholics. And you're right. It might be nobody's specific fault. You know, as a deacon, I, I could say, you know, it's our fault for not preaching or teaching it properly. But but so many are kind of stuck in there. Um, let's talk a little bit about the music, because uh, I am interested in knowing about the collaborations you've done work with the vigil project we've featured them on this program many times so our listeners are very familiar with them do you feel that there's something special or or more meaningful about collaborating with other artists since you've said that it's not about you oh 100 you know like one of the struggles of what i see is is the still because i think catholic music is still very much at its onset right it's not mm -hmm. an industry on itself mm -hmm. that it's self-sustaining is that we're, we're struggling with how do we make music that I think really gives God glory and we still have artists, right? Yeah. But it is never fully consumed by the artist, right? That it really always points back. And right. even I think the Christian industry has struggled with that just because, you know, uh, we follow an artist and they have some type of downfall because they're human. Yep. And then people leave, right? Um, so mm. I think the collaboration aspect allows us maybe to not focus so much on the artist, but try to focus more on the music yeah. and the prayer in, in and of itself. And then, then there's a practical aspect, which I think is fair to, which is John has an audience and I have an audience. Mm -hmm. If I can introduce them to more people that I think would enjoy somebody's gift and talents, then I think we can continue spreading it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love collaborations. I, I, I love it when I think COVID, COVID was good in that sense that it, a lot of people started collaborating more because they had to, there was nothing else. Um, yeah, so, but, but you're right in terms of spreading, sharing, sharing the wealth, sharing the treasures. Um, that's a great way to do it. Um, Nico, that's all the time we have, but it's been really good. Uh, it's really, really good meeting you. I love the music. Um, excellent chatting with you, and uh, I hope I hope that you keep writing because there's good stuff there, and we can bring you back on the show. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was a conversation I had with Nico Cabrera earlier this week. You can find Nico Cabrera on Instagram and listen to his music wherever you stream music. And to listen to this interview again or to hear the rest of the program, go to slmedia.org/podcast. Here now is Nico Cabrera with his new single. Hasta las nubes, which means to the clouds. Bajo tus alas, yo siempre tengo protección. No hay batalla que no has ganado, mi Señor. Por eso te alabo, porque eres más grande que lo que temo. No me distraigo Dejo que tú seas Dios Mi canto se eleva hasta las nubes Mi voz solo exclama que tú eres Dios Me quito la corona y la pongo a tus pies Toma tu trono 
se eleva hasta las nubes Mi voz solo exclama que tú eres Dios Me quito la corona y la pongo a tus pies Toma tu trono We're listening to Nico Cabrera with his new single, Hasta Las Nubes, or To the Clouds. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at slmedia.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, part two. I'm Deacon Pedro. Last Sunday, October 29th, the first session of the Assembly of the Synod on Synodality came to a close. This assembly lasted the whole month of October, which was a fruitful time filled with meaningful reflection and with spirit-guided discernment, bringing us closer to a more synodal church. Just before the session ended, Sultan Light's Julian Paparella had the chance to speak with Sister Jill Golding. She is a sister of the Congregatio Jesu and a professor of systematic theology who was appointed by Pope Benedict XVI to be a theological expert at the Synod on the New Evangelization in 2012. She is now a member of the Theological Commission of this current Synod and as such has been involved in all stages of the Synodal process since it began in 2021. Here is part of that conversation. So, Sister Jill Golding, thank you very much for being with us. You're no stranger to Salt and Light. We've had you on our air many times and delighted to have you with us to talk a little bit about synodality. Maybe for you, what's the most important aspect? Uh, for Sister Jill Golding, what's synodality in a nutshell? It's the work of the Holy Spirit within the Church, gathering us all to a deep participation. That would be in a nutshell. So for you, obviously, as a baptized, but also as a woman, as a theologian, as someone who's worked for the church in various different ways on different topics, how do you hope that the involvement of ordinary Catholics, the baptized, but also maybe of women and maybe of women theologians, how do you hope that that might evolve in the midst of this process, thanks to this process? Well, first of all, I would have to say that synodality also involves people out with the church, uh, other Christian denominations, our interfaith partners, indeed, even those of no belief, as Vatican II made so clear in Lumen Gentium. I think as we look, as we move forward, it's important to have a sense of the consistency of this pro-synodal process from the very beginning, when many people around the world were involved in local gatherings. And in those local gatherings, they reflected on the Word of God and they shared conversation in the Spirit in, in order to have a sense of trying to see where they had a feel that the, the Spirit was leading them. And this came together in terms of reports that went into the diocese, into the continents, and then from there into the, the uh, Sidon Secretariat. And as you and I know, we were involved in that early, early process. And indeed, the, the, the way in which we were involved was in this same reflection, prayer, um, conversation in the spirit, and that sense of how we could discern the way forward. That's how that document that we wrote from Frascati evolved, um, the document of the continental stage, to which uh, the, the continents, the seven continents responded. 
and which then formed the basis for the Instrumentum Laboris. So that consistency of approach, again, sees the, the primordial movement of the spirit at work. So it's not something that's been dreamed up um, by Pope Francis or anyone else. It's not something that has various ideological trends, but it is something that we have consistently tried to discern by the movement of the spirit. Now, with regard to women involved, this is the first uh, synod where there have been so many um, women involved, 54, I believe. Uh, when I was at the synod in uh, 2012, there were 30-odd women. So, in a sense, we're moving forward in that way. But this has actually involved uh, women and laymen also who will be, as it were, uh, as the media has stressed so often, voting participants, so many delegates, not the service personnel in terms of theologians and facilitators and such, but the delegates. And in that uh, scenario, it's really important that we continue to remember this Synod of Bishops is, as it has always been, a consultative body. It has never been a deliberative body. It offers the fruit of consultation to the Holy Father. And it's important that we keep that constantly in mind. With regard to being a woman theologian, I had the great privilege of meeting uh, Pope Francis in 2018. And um, when he delighted me by thanking me for being a woman theologian and writing in this area of mercy, which actually has come to fruition in the last month with the publication of a book on Pope Francis and mercy. And what I, why I feel that that this is important is that for Pope Francis, he sees everything through this lens of mercy. And therefore, this I understanding of mercy is foundational for the sinful process. It's that call to merciful loving as God himself in the fullness of God's um, Trinitarian reality is mercy also. I think that's a really essential point, maybe mercy almost as sort of a key to the whole pontificate of Pope Francis, but also really a fundamental element of this synodal church that we're trying to become. Could you share maybe some ways that you have seen the church being merciful and some ways maybe that you hope we can become more merciful as we journey forward on the path of City Allen? Yes, I think so. I would suggest that um, mercy and compassion, as the Psalms so often remind us, are very integrated. And compassion um, is to suffer with, so therefore it brings us a sense of an engagement more with mar people who are on the margins of society, people who are suffering at this present time. Um, our, we, our hearts go out to the Middle East, to Ukraine ongoingly, and that sense of um, that the church is not just some uh, participant in the world, but actually has a connection that is so deep that we suffer with those who are rejected, those who are the victims of violence, terrorism, war, whatever, because we claim them as brothers and sisters. Because the fundamental uh, bottom line for a merciful attitude is that we are all made in the image and likeness of God. And therefore, the way in which we engage with others is from that basic presupposition. 
if that is the case, and Pope Francis has, has kept bringing us back to that point, if that is the case, then everyone, everyone is um, deserving of the reverence, the value, worth, and dignity of us listening to their voice. And for that to be the case, then we need to be open to that reality. So we're talking about a church that is um, the dynamic with operative within the church is one that is outgoing. Pope Francis spoke of a field hospital in his very early days. That is, as it were, um, a reality to which people come. But alongside that, there is that movement outwards to encounter, to engage. What is important for many um, in different parts of the world, particularly as regards um, women, is to hear the voice of women. And that really raises up the question of formation and education. And formation has been a, a major piece as we, 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 as we read the documents from across the world initially. It's clear that everyone is looking to some form of formation. So what does it look like, formation for lay people in different cultural settings? What does it look like, formation for priests, ongoing formation? What does a, a formation for a bishop look like today? And it's this sense of being able to widen that reality. I'm very um, involved in different ways in formation for seminary formators. A number of people have raised at this Synodal Assembly, according to the briefings, the importance of formation in seminaries. And of course, that is right. But prior to that, we need the seminary formators involved in order to ground whatever is done with the seminarians. So uh, we need to engage more there, I think, to address when people have specific concerns, which are very often the result of fears, I think, to address those, to hear those, to listen to what is the deeper reality underlying what people want to raise up here, not to dismiss them or not to become, uh, as it were, an aggressive debater about these things. But part of the listening one of the things I say to my students, because I now teach a course on theology and synodality, what are the voices that you don't want to hear? What are they saying? And why are they saying it? And in a sense, if we can be open in this sense, we are not in any way losing our faith. We are not endeavoring to change doctrine. We are endeavoring to indicate to a wider public, too, that the church is truly engaged in people's lives and believes it has a life-giving message to offer, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was a conversation that Salt and Light's Synod correspondent, Julian Paparella, had with Sister Jill Golding of the Synod's Theological Commission in Rome just before the end of that first session of the Assembly of the Synod. To learn more about the Synod and watch all our coverage, visit us at slmedia.org synod. Here now is Kaylee Rain with Birdhouse from their album Crash This Gate. There's a mouse in the birdhouse 
He's made it his home I don't know how he got up there Oh, on his own Mother Nature, she makes her moves That you could never foresee I guess the mouse needs a house more than me We grease the pole to keep the mouse out the birds make a bed, but once they did, he slid up there. Now he's sleeping under it instead. Broke my heart, and the birdies too, like dropping nuts from a tree. I guess the mouse needs a house more than me. it was me what if it was you there's a mouse in the birdhouse and that rascal's no fool now he sees we won't evict him so he's putting in a pool every year I hate him less seven years now That was Kaylee Rain with Birdhouse from their album Crash This Gate. About a year and a half ago, we reconnected with Bob Halligan Jr. of Kaylee Rain. Kaylee Rain is probably one of the first Catholic bands that I ever heard of over 20 years ago. We first had Bob Halligan on this program about 14 years ago, and last year we spoke to him because they were working on their ninth studio album, Crash This Gate. We had a chance to play some of the tracks, but the album was not yet completed. If you haven't heard of Kaylee Rain, I hope that you listen to the song we just played and that you're excited about their mainstream Celtic rock blend. Well, Crash This Gate is now finished and out, and so it's a good excuse to once again speak with Bob Halligan Jr., who I spoke with earlier this week from his home in Nashville. Bob, welcome back to the show. It's so good hey. to see you. It's great to see you, Pedro. Thanks for uh, enduring me coming back. No, uh, hey, it was so soon. a great excuse. I'm glad that you finally finished the album. It took yeah, a yeah, long yeah. time. Yeah, we were a little bit slow, but yeah, there, there it is. is, you know, there so amen. Amen, amen to that. Amen, and, and of course, we'll get, we'll get to talk a little bit about the album uh, in, a, in a while, but uh, did you have a good summer? Lots of, you got, got yeah. lots of golfing in there? Lots of golf. Uh, uh, I'm a low handicap guy. And in English, that means I'm real good. I, I had a good year. So, good. Uh, good. but it's Not up and down. It's like everything else. You just have to give it to God and uh, trust that, you know, no one will be harmed. <laughs> um, but you still managed to get in a couple gigs as well. Yeah, we played uh, a great gig in Nashville, Tanner C. 
and uh, that was well attended at St. Henry's Church there. Okay. Uh, biggest church in Catholic Church in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, then a non-church in North Conway, New Hampshire, uh, 10 days after that, a big outdoor festival, two or 3,000 people and much dancing. And uh, so the six-headed Kaylee Rain Celtic Rock Monster abides abides so six and of course six-headed because there are six of you yes is it the same six guys from 28 years ago uh no but it's it's the same guys from uh maybe 14 years ago that's impressive so yeah so uh raymond arias lead guitar in the group for maybe 26 years bert mitchell in the group about 25 on whistles and pipes Mm. Bill Blystein, our drummer for 20 plus. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe Davoli, our fiddler for about uh, 16 years. And um, Kevin D'Souza, our bassist for like 12, 13 years, something like That's that. That's wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. So I know that you're, uh, is it fair to say that you do all the songwriting or most of the songwriting? I'm afraid so. Yes, you're right you are, there. No, Pedro. it's not bad. So, but I'm curious to know how that process is. Do you do you write the 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 music? You bring it to the band. And yeah. Why you did work you it want together? Did you want to submit a song? Is that can I submit a song? This, can I send no. you? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. So I'll straight. How's up the process with right the band? Here. How's the process with the band? Yeah. Uh, I write a song. I make a. Uh, you know, some of it is a demonstration recording. We used to mm-hmm. call it a demo, a demo right? Yeah. Uh, but a lot of times I write and I use Pro Tools and yeah. my rig is over that away. Mm-hmm. And um, so as I'm writing, I try to record what I think could be the final, whether it's the vocal or the bass part or whatever, piano part. Um, so some of what they hear is what might end up on the record. And uh, and then I do with keyboard, I do little fake uh, whistles and flutes and stuff okay. like that to, to give them a roadmap mm-hmm. um, so that the is evident mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need to write it out with musical notation because they have great ears and can, you know, figure it out for themselves. Right. And uh, so I just send the stuff out to the other five lads. And yeah. And they capture what I am looking for, but then they bring their own personalities to it, of course. Yeah, and I guess that's what I was thinking, and especially the fiddle and the pipes. Uh, um, yeah. You know, are they improvising probably some of it? Yeah, the, the stuff that kind of sounds improvised is that, yeah. whereas the sort of signature melodies uh, that are often on the intro, like instead of bump, 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 instead of, you know, yeah. deep purple kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, as I said, and then repeat that kind of thing, but slow enough so the people can take it in and, you know, be humming it right. on the way out. And are you, <laughs> are you doing most of your own production or do you go work with a music producer? Um, I, I do a lot of it, but, then yeah i did produce this album but yeah. the mix and the mastering because my 70 year old rock and roll abused ears are not able to really sign right. off on oh. a final thing mm-hmm. um uh, a guy named roman clune k-l-u-n who's a fine canadian fellow oh yeah much, the, the best much like your fine selves there. the best the best um 
Roman did the mix and the master, and it was genius work in my opinion, and and really um, allowed everything to come through. Because mm -hmm. when you have six members of the group and kind of honorary seven and eight people at times, right? It's just a, a lot of sonic mouths to feed, if you will, mm -hmm. and. Um, if you have somebody who's genius like Roman is, then you don't have all the band members saying, well, what about me? More me, more me. And mm -hmm. everything can be heard if the guy knows what he's doing. And Roman mm -hmm. does. Now you titled the album crash this gate. That is uh, one of the tracks is called crash this gate. And last yep. time we spoke uh, about a year and a half ago, you told us that, you know, but the, the, the meaning of that, that you, that your son was in the army and if you could crash this gate and you, that's an image of Jesus. If, if Jesus could crash this gate to save us, he yeah. would. Um, yeah. why I'm always curious to know, why did you feel or want that particular song to sort of be the title for the whole album? Do you feel that yeah. that's the theme of the whole album? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we do have to stretch a little bit to think of it as the theme per mm. se, okay? Mm. But uh, if called out on the carpet and asked to uh, address that subject, I'll say it this way. Uh, uh, pardon me. <clears throat> yeah, Liam was, was in the Marine Corps, and the very last difficult thing, um, I wished I could help him, and mm. I... I, you know, I wrote him a cosmic letter. If I could crash this gate between you and where you got to go, I would do it for you. Mm -hmm. uh, in the way that Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit w would do that for us. But there's this nasty thing called free will. And <laughs> so we kind of have to crash our own gates do sometimes. Ourselves. But yeah. we do know that if it is God's will and it's proper and the, the right thing that should happen, that the, all the gates will be pushed open, will be mm -hmm. crashed through. And um, so it's, it's a, it's a positive message. It, it suggests the need for of some force. And I think as Christians, as humans, we have to bring a little force to bear at times. We can't just kind of, you know, sit back and, well, we'll hope that things we have to be prayer. That's why we say prayer warriors, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. we, we can't just, um, yeah, whatever you say. And, and it is whatever you say, but let me bring some passion, some, some excitement, some, some, uh, faith filled joys, joy filled faith, you mm -hmm. know, to the party and we'll crash that the gate to the party. Mm -hmm. I want to get in that party, yo. Yeah. I need to be in there. No, and I think that that's that's a great image. And I'm glad you mentioned party because there's there's something very Kaylee-ish about a party or something yeah. very party-ish about a Kaylee. Um, you got it. You are doing a lot of events where people are dancing. I know you jump yeah. around stage a lot. Yeah. Is it your hope that the music will be go deeper than that for a lot of people? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's 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 meant to... It's meant for kids from three to ninety-three, yeah. right? And so, but it can it can work in a pub, but some people of a more serious bent may wish to imbibe a different kind of spirit with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, not everybody listens to lyrics, Pedro, as no. as we know, right? But mm -hmm. um, 
I think enough of it will seep through. Um, and this this gig that we do in North Conway, New Hampshire, we do it every couple of years. Mm -hmm. They played the fire out of our first album way back 25 years ago. And um, so we're kind of a hit act in that town. And the spirituality, I won't call it religiosity, but the spirituality... Yeah in our songs really mm -hmm. has such tremendous power with those audiences. And it's not that they rush to confession or communion or whatever, but they, they really feel it and they're really with us. And when I raise my fist at the end of our signature song, Kaylee rain, they are so with us. It's really, it's, it's freaky. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, you know, the the kids from three to 93 uh, want that sort of vertical connection and power. Mm -hmm. And and w we we get to bring it. Uh, not that we have to bring it or want to. We get to bring it. And it's 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 really quite amazing to be uh, a conduit for that. It's pretty yeah. great. It is great. And you do bring it and you do get a, a really good job at reminding us that uh, heaven is going to be a great party. Yeah. Amen. Cool. Amen. Bob Halligan Jr. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that we yeah. that you fin finally finished the album. And yeah. it's a great treat for us because normally we get to play three songs. But for this one, we got to play six because you were on twice. So it's yummy. The, yummy. The, the other tracks. So I hope that people enjoy what they're listening to and that they can uh, support your ministry. Bob Halligan. It's so good to see you again, my friend. Oh, Take care. lovely Pedro. God bless you. You're, you too. you're terrific. I love your smile, man. God bless my friend. You can learn all about Bob Halligan Jr. and Kaylee Rain and get their new album, Crash This Gate, at their website, kayleerain.com. And Kaylee is spelled C-E-I-L-I, -I, Kaylee. But I'll put that link on our site so you can find it easily. That's slmedia.org slash podcast. Here now to take us out is Kaylee Rain with 10 million from their newest album, Crash This Gate. Ten more days of being here all alone is feeling more and more like torture. I'm worried that if I can't take it being here on my own, about the older people, folks with no money, and I miss my mother, I miss my dad. All the joy the old world has. So tired of those and those, my eyes and I see Someday, what happens if when that day comes, the truth doesn't bend to meet our desperate expectations? Last night, I tried to shout it, I shouted it loud. We must be brave, we must be proud. The three neighbors came out their doors, and I could then see
We're listening to Kaylee Rain with 10 million from their album Crash This Gate, and that concludes this special best of edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, slmedia.org, in order to find out everything you want about us and how to support our ministry. We can't bring you this program for free without your support. Thank you for your donations. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or X, or you can email me, pedro at slmedia.org. You can write to me and say hello. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro. <laughs>